Amen. All right, check this out. I, I don't think this is one of the guys that preached for me while I was gone, or, or even you, Bobby. I don't think so. But uh, it was just a preacher. One Sunday, this preacher, he's finishing up his sermon, and it was a sermon on temperance, right? And uh, with great conviction, he said this to the congregation. He says, and if I had all the beer in the world, I'd take it and I'd throw it in the river. Well, at this, the congregation, they nodded their heads in approval, and they shouted, amen, preacher. So with even greater conviction, the preacher added, and if I had all the wine in the world, I'd take it and I'd throw it in the river. And the people shouted even louder, amen, preacher. And so finally the preacher concluded and says, and if I had all the whiskey in the world, I'd take it and I'd throw it in the river too. And the people shouted, amen, preacher, preacher. Well, at this, the preacher, he sits down, and the song leader, he gets up to conclude the service, and he does. He looks over at the preacher kind of cautiously, and he announced with a nervous smile, he said, uh, for our closing song, let's sing hymn number 365, We Shall Gather at the River. <laughs> to which the people shouted, Amen, preacher, unfortunately, if you can believe that. But I tell you what, <laughs> great hymn if you know that hymn, but the problem is bad timing, amen? Okay, bad timing because the hymn totally undermined the preacher's great message, right? And folks, I can't think of a better way to illustrate, unfortunately, what's happening to you and I. We've got the greatest message of all. It's called the gospel. The word means good news. We've got the greatest news of all. Jesus Christ has come to forgive us of all our sins, no matter what you've done, where you've been. He's ready to cleanse you and to take you to heaven. But what's the problem? Our message is being undermined. As the American church, we were acting like practical atheists. Oh, we say we believe in God. Of course, you've got to say that one at least, right? But half the time with our lips and our lives, we're given a different impression. We're acting like God's not even there. As we've been seeing, this is not just detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God. So to avoid that irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue in our study on the character of God from the Word of God. And it's called... The character of God. Bobby, just read. That's all you got to do, buddy. You're doing good. The character of God. All right. And we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God. Hello, we're here for a real reason, aren't we? Why? Because God is real. This is not pie in the sky, make-believe, opiate for the masses. God is real. The second thing, he's not just staring at us. Hi, guys, down there. Too bad. No. <laughs> Jesus died for what? A personal, loving, intimate, beautiful relationship with us. God is personal. He's intimate, okay? The third thing, hello, he's what? He's wise. He knows everything. He never gets it wrong. Why would you go anywhere else for wisdom when you need it? The fourth thing, hello, he is sovereign. God not only controls all things, but if you love him, do you love him? Raise your hand, right? Then praise God. Guess what? Here's the truth from God. He promised you, that's right, he will work all things. How many things? All things together for good. He is a sovereign. Okay, then we saw the fifth thing. He's powerful. He can save anybody he wants. He can fix any problem he wants. He can supply any need he wants. There's always hope with God on the throne. And last time I checked, he's always on the throne, uh, is the good news. Then the last five times we saw the sixth thing, God is what? He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. It's the only attribute of God mentioned three times in scripture, i.e., for emphasis, is the biblical rule. And what we've been seeing, if you want to understand the holiness of God, how many of you guys want to understand the holiness of God? All right, those of you didn't raise your hand, praise God, you're here, you're going to get it anyway. Right? The holiness of God. Then we say, look, then go back to not your impression of God, and that's idolatry, that's a sin. You don't make up God who you want. Go back to his holy word. He tells you who he is and what his holiness is like. And so far we see in his word, uh, the holiness of God is we looked at the reaction of people, the removal of people, and the last three times God's reminders for people that he is holy, we are not. We need Jesus to save us. Now that first reminder, of course, was the traveling tabernacle. And the last two times we saw the second reminder, believe it or not, was the Ten Commandments, Right? The Ten Commandments, you don't just look at them and stare on the wall or just improve your son, uh, impress your Sunday school class. I got them all memorized in order. Woohoo! No. Okay. And the, the commandments are good. The problem is what? We can't keep the Ten Commandments. 
None of us can, myself included. We can't keep them. They're not a way to earn your way to heaven. They're to show our uh, need of a Savior to get us to heaven, okay? God's trying to get that message through to us. And, he's, and then, so in essence, it's like, hey, prove to me that you're holy, God's saying. That you're just like me. You can waltz your way to heaven, work your way to heaven, then just keep these ten things. I love this. Because do you realize he could have did a hundred commandments? He could have did a thousand commandments, right? He just said, just ten things. Come on, can you keep ten things? No, you can't. But we don't want to admit that, so that's what he does. Now, we saw so far, don't worship other gods. Don't worship idols. Last time, don't use God's name in vain, which means even in a common way. Keep the Sabbath. Can you give God just one day and honor your parents like you're supposed to? Why? Because the Bible is clear. The penalty of breaking God's commands, his holy commands, the penalty of sin against the holy God is death. We all, myself included, for what we have done in breaking, yes, even the Ten Commandments, we all deserve to die and go straight to hell. It drives us to the conclusion that the scripture says we need to come to, oh no, I'm doomed. I need a savior. And praise God there is. And his name is Jesus. That's what God's trying to remind us, not just in the traveling tabernacle. The only way to get to him is through Jesus. But the Ten Commandments, he's holy, we're not I need somebody to save me. I can't even keep these ten things, okay? But that's not all. I've gone through five out of ten, so guess what that means? Hey, there's got to be more than there is for those of you hooked on math. That's right. The sixth one is you shall not murder. Now, this is an interesting one because people, oh, okay, I blew it on those first five, Pastor Billy. <laughs> but I've never murdered any. Well, let's just take a look at that first and what's going on in the context before you uh, make that statement. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. Once again, we're going to grab the context of who is giving these commandments, not suggestions, and uh, leading up to now the sixth one that he says, in essence, right, uh, you think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You think you're holy like me? Then here's what you do, and here's what you don't do, okay? That's all you got to do, but the problem is we can't do it. That's a lot of do's, but let's move on. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, and uh, verses uh, 1 through 13, let's take a look. It says this, and God spoke. Who's speaking? God, where's he coming from? From God is the right answer. Go ahead, let's stand as we read God's holy word. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Number one, what? You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. In heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But, praise God, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my what? Commandments. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Why? Because the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God on it. You shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days God made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it what? holy number five honor your father and mother why so that you may live long in the land the lord your god has given you you still haven't got the message you still can't even keep these all right let's move to the next one you shall not murder let's go ahead and sit down as we contemplate what in the world is god talking about there you shall not 
murder. This is the sixth test, in essence, that God is putting us through with the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Again, by way of recap, where do we get that? That's from the New Testament where Paul says that God's law, nothing's wrong with God's law. God's law, his commandments are holy, right, and just. What's the problem? We can't keep them. Paul said in the New Testament that God's law was to drive us to what? To drive us to Christ, right? And so here's his sixth test trying to drive us to the conclusion, oh no, I'm in trouble, he's holy, I'm not I need a savior. And that's this prohibition against murder. Against murder, right? Now, folks, I don't know if you have realized or not, but our country not only breaks this commandment all the time, right? But uh, we seem to be having a love affair with it, okay? In fact, let me take, uh, take you through some stats, what's going on uh, with our country right now on murder, okay? Murder right now in America occurs every 60 seconds. Every 60 seconds, right? Let's do another hooked on math, right? This sermon lasts uh, 45 minutes. How many people died while you are just sitting there watching the sermon? 45 people. 45 people died just during the sermon. Murdered. Murdered. Just taken away. Every 60 seconds right now. Violent crimes are up 995%. Teenage suicide, which is self-murder. Self-murder. 200% it's up. A suicide occurs every 40 seconds. People are killing themselves. Self-murder. Faster than other people are killing other people in our country uh, right now. Every day, 13 youth specifically commit suicides. Another 16 are murdered every day. More people have died in America in the last 30 years, do the math, from the murders and the suicides than from all the wars in the history of the United States. Our country is just going, oh, and we don't have time to talk about what's going on in Chicago, stuff of that nature. It's like, man, who wants to even live there, right? But it's happening on such a grand scale. Apparently, we could give a rip about keeping this commandment from God. This is right smack dab in the middle. This is number six. Don't murder. You shall not murder. God spoke these words. And yet, what are we doing? Every 60 seconds. Wow. Now, as horrible as those stats are, a murder of adults are, that's nothing compared to the sickening stats on the murder of children. Since 1973, we as a nation, I updated the stats here, have murdered almost, it's almost right now, almost 60 million babies. We've murdered babies, 60 million. Do the math, that's about 4,000 a day. That's a, a child is murdered in our country every 20 seconds. A baby, a defenseless baby is murdered every 20 seconds. Oh, that's not that. Worldwide, listen to this. Worldwide, we are now approaching 1.5 billion babies, not million. One and a half billion babies have been murdered since 1973. That's 100,000 babies every day. You wonder why the wrath of God is coming to this planet? You wonder why the seven year tribulation is seven years? Not one year, not seven minutes. Not just a boom, a big deluge like the water that happened when God judged his planet the first time. Swallowed up the earth. One year, two year, three year. Oh, you're just getting started. Four years, five years, six years, seven years, nonstop wrath. This is just one sin, and specifically the murder of children. Now, what makes it even worse, what I found alarming, at least since I've been saved, since 1993, is I've noticed that so-called Christians are actually starting to slide on this issue when it comes to abortion, which is murdering of children. And I have encouraged people over the years, don't use their terminology. It is not abortion. Don't, don't say abortion. 
Let's say, well, are you against abortion? I am against the murdering of children. What, you mean to tell me that that fetus has more of a right than... That's not a fetus, that's a child. Do not use their terms. Because that's what they use to couch against and hide away from the guilt that we all know. I'm sorry, that's a child. You're murdering the child. But Christians have fallen for that lie. And and what they do, they they say something like this. They say, well, hey, listen, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, uh, Abortion, that's murdering of children. I'm against that, obviously, as a Christian. But they think it's okay now. I've actually heard this from Christians. They think it's okay to murder a child in certain circumstances. Rape or incest. Now, is rape wrong? Absolutely. Incest wrong? Absolutely. But why does a defenseless child have to be murdered for somebody else's crime? You ever thought about that? Murdering children is never okay. There's plenty of families that would love to adopt. It's never acceptable. Now, let me show you what I mean by, I'm going to to do a little, if you will, abortion test. Is it ever okay to murder a child? Let's expand our mind a little bit, hopefully. Hey, would you consider abortion Murdering a child in the following situations. Number one, there's a preacher, and all these are true stories, true incidences. Number one, there's a preacher and his wife, and they're very, very poor. They already have 14 kids. Yeah, now she finds out she's pregnant with her 15th, right? They're living in tremendous poverty, and considering their poverty, would you consider recommending getting an abortion, murdering that child? Hmm. Number two, the father is sick with sniffles, and, and uh, uh, the mother, she's got TB. They got four children. The first one's blind. The second one died. The third one's deaf. The fourth one's got TB, tuberculosis. She finds out she's pregnant again. Given the extreme situation, would you consider recommending murdering that child? Number three, a white man raped. Oh, here's your rape instance. A white man raped a 13-year-old black girl, and she got pregnant. Now, if you were her parents, would you consider recommending murdering that child? Number four, a teenage girl, a teenage girl, she's pregnant, and she's not married. And listen, her fiancé is not the father of the baby, and he is upset. Would you consider recommending an abortion, killing that child? Well, number one, if you said yes to the first case, you just killed John Wesley. He was one of the greatest evangelists in the 19th century. Number two, if you said in the second case, you killed Beethoven. You killed Beethoven. Number three, if you said, number three, you killed Ethel Waters, the great black gospel singer. And with the teenage scenario, number four, you declared the murder of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Anybody glad that Joseph didn't counsel Mary to get an abortion? Wow. Why? Oh, because we'd not only miss out on our wonderful Messiah, but we would be guilty what the scripture says, we'd be guilty of murder. <laughs> but you might, no, fast forward, listen, whew, serious, what happened? Did you have a bad vacation? This is intense. Listen, come on, okay, but listen, listen, okay, listen, I, I get you, I follow with you on that. I'm not for murder of no kind, adult, baby, nothing, at no instance. But hey, I, I'm not one of those people who've done that, though. I, I haven't uh, murdered an adult, I haven't murdered a child, I, I, haven't, I haven't murdered anything in, in my life. Well, again, folks, it's one thing to say you haven't murdered anyone, it's another thing to demonstrate it with your mouth. Remember, Jesus raised the bar, right? You've heard that it was said in the old law, the Ten Commandments. Oh, but I tell you, remember the phrase, I tell you. Listen to how he took murder, because God looks at the heart 
Watch this, Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You've heard that the law of Moses said, you know, the Ten Commandments, right? Do not murder. Of course, we just read it, right? And he says, and here's the penalty. And if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But watch Jesus say, but I say, if you're angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call somebody, i.e. with your mouth an idiot, a raka, you are in danger of being brought before the high council. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Whoa. Now, that's from Jesus. That's our Lord and Savior. And when he says he raises the bar, he he declares that murder in God's eyes is not just including the death with a weapon, whether it be a gun or some instrument and killing a child. But he says that includes death with your mouth, your heart. In your heart, you wish you pulled the trigger. That means that every time we get angry with someone to the point where we call them an idiot, we curse them, we wish they were dead. In God's eyes, whether we like it or not, he makes up the rules, by the way. We are just as guilty as a physical murder in his eyes. Why? Because you murdered them. You murdered them. You murdered them, though, with your mouth. Your mouth became the deadly weapon. Whoa. Now, if you think that Christians, we don't do this. I don't know if you noticed or not, sometimes it starts off in the parking lot. Have you noticed that? Yeah, you're murdering people with your mouth in the parking lot. Unfortunately, this guy had his dash cam on. Let's take a look at what he was doing. Jesus, I am late for church. I'm just going to speak this parking spot into existence right now. Just name it and claim it, Jesus. Oh, for heaven's sakes, use the crosswalk. I, okay, I have the fruit of the spirit, but y'all need to move. Ooh, she is going to wear that into ch- Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Jesus, give me a miracle. I need a ram in the thicket. I love this church. It's just like come as you are. You know what I'm saying? How do I look, though? Does this jacket go with this shirt? Oh, good Lord. Guests, single parents, expected mother. Who doesn't have a parking spot these days? I have been here 27 years. I deserve respect. Oh yeah, go ahead, take my parking spot. She she probably needs Jesus more than me, honestly. Use your mirror. How long does it take to back out of a... Jesus, give me strength. This is so str... Honestly, there better be coffee. There better be coffee. Y'all are gonna make me park in a handicap spot. Oh look, there go the homeschoolers. I swear if somebody took the last jelly donut, I will. Don't make me get out of the... Oh, move hey, are that you co- on the ministry team? Not today, okay? Oh, you're gonna drive a Lexus? Okay, I know where your treasure's at. Not in heaven. The sermon series is what? Putting others in front of yourself. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. I mean, for heaven's sakes, move out of the road. Look at this truck. Where are you going? A church or a Trump rally? Finally found a parking spot 15 minutes late. Oh, it is way too cold out here, but you better bring a shuttle or I will watch this service online. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Does that sound familiar or what? Yeah. I'll give you, you know, it's funny, I'll give you that. All right. Unfortunately, though, it's not funny when you get back to God's word. Because this shows how fast and loose, even as Christians, we break this commandment. Even this, even in the church parking lot, when you're getting ready to come on in and worship God. How many of you guys realize that God can see through your car? Right? Did you know there's, it's not an invisible bubble shield? I wish I could see them. I can't. And he could hear too. We're murdering people with our mouth. And you might think, hey, Pastor Bill, come on, man. I'm only human, man. I mean, so 
Okay, come on. Surely murdering somebody with your mouth once in a while, it's not that big of a deal, right? Wrong. The Bible is very clear and very consistent. Murder is called a sin. And the penalty for sin against the holy God, even the sin of murder, whether it be with an instrument or whether it be with your mouth, is called death. And here's what God says about that. Numbers chapter 35, 20 through 21. Or suppose you get angry and you kill somebody by pushing or hitting or by throwing something. You are a what? A murderer and you must be put to death. Wow, when you add that mouth thing, you name one person on the planet that can keep this commandment. None of us. We're doomed. Oh no. God is holy. We are not. What's he driving us to? You need Jesus. Are you ready to admit it now? Can you admit that you're a sinner, that you're not worthy to get into heaven? You can't earn your way there. You can't. Are you ready yet to receive my forgiveness through my son? That's what it's all about. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about. Isn't God gracious with us? He didn't have to do any of this. But he does it, and he keeps on doing it too. Let's take a look at the seventh one. The seventh one, he says that he is basically holy. We are not. We need a savior because we can't keep this one either. And it says, you shall not uh, commit adultery, okay? Let's take a look at that text there, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, and let's all read together. You shall not commit adultery, okay? Uh, plain as day, it's right there, it's clear, it's God's seventh test. He's shown us this prohibition, right? Prove to him you're willing to get to heaven. Uh, and so uh, uh, just whatever you do, just never once, just, just all you got to do, never once, not one time, just stay away from this one thing. Don't ever commit adultery. Now the problem is, again, in our country, if you thought we were having a so-called love affair with the last commandment and breaking that, uh, it's nothing compared to this one. We really are, pun intended, having a love affair with adultery in our uh, country. Unmarried couples right now living together up 725%. Uh, illegitimate births are up 400%. Unwanted pregnancies up 10 to 14-year-olds up 553%. Uh, Sexually transmitted diseases among 10 to 14-year-olds is up 385%. 10 to 14-year-olds. Okay, the divorce rate is 50%. And listen, I came across this stat. One, at one time in one part of California, I think it was Marin County, the divorce rate was one for every marriage. You get married in that county, you live in that county, the odds are you're guaranteed to get a divorce. That's how bad it is, okay? And again, you take a look at the statistics, folks. Apparently, uh, it ain't, we, we're not doing well ever since we ripped the Ten Commandments out of the schools and the courtrooms. Because we are just breaking this one big time. Now, shocking as those stats are on non-Christians, let's take a look at how Christians act to sex outside of marriage, adultery, fornication, things of that nature, uh, sexual immorality. Well, how's the church doing? Right? Well, folks, it ain't doing much better. 33% of Christians right now say homosexuality is okay uh, in the church. 39% say it's okay for couples to live together in the church before they get married. Uh, one report showed how Christians were more likely than non-Christians to get a divorce. 27% versus 24. So in certain instances, in certain areas, we're worse off. And yet we're the ones who's supposed to be leading the way back. We are being hypocritical. If we can't even keep this commandment, then who in the world are we to sit there and point fingers? Oh, the moral decline. Sounds like we need revival first, amen? And that's what the scripture tells us. And we wonder why families are falling apart. But again, you might be thinking, hey, listen, I'm not one of those people who've committed physical adultery. I've always been true to my spouse. Guess who raised the bar? Jesus. And what he said, folks, man, he said adultery is not just physical. Adultery can be done with your eyes. You commit it in your heart. 
And here's what Jesus says. Not only murder, but also with adultery. Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 28. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Of course, we just saw that in the Ten Commandments, man. It's number seven. But I tell you, Jesus said, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her where? In his heart. Wow. And it's not just guys, ladies. It goes both ways. So again, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it seems to me that, folks, we need to, we need to take this more serious. Jesus said, hey, hey, listen, you think you're holy? You think you can get to heaven? You think you don't need me? You don't need my work on the cross? Okay. Don't ever once look at a person with your eyes with lust in your heart. Prove to me. Now, the problem is, I don't think any of us here ever have been able to say we can do that. And if you say that, don't worry. There's another commandment down the road we'll get to called lying. (laughs) But what makes it even worse is our society has removed any sense of decency of a standard in the media out there. And it's not just removed it, but it's promoting it on a massive scale. And that's with pornography. Let's take a look at some stats. There's more than 15,000 adult bookstores in the United States. They outnumber McDonald's restaurants by a margin of at least three to one. Okay, pornography is larger than the commercial movie industry and record industries combined. Pornography does. The circulation of Playboy and Penthouse is twice that of Newsweek and Time combined. 75% of video stores sell pornography. It makes up 50 to 60% of their sales. Americans rent upward to 800 million porn videos and DVDs a year, making nearly one in five movie rentals a porn flick. Hollywood produces 400 feature films a year. Average, the porn industry turns out 11,000. On average, one in four American adults surveyed in uh, 2002 admitted to seeing an X-rated movie in the last year. Annual rental sales of adult videos and DVDs top four billion, not million, four billion. Pornography is a 12, 13 dollars a year industry, more than the combined annual revenues of Coca-Cola and McDonnell Douglas corporations. Put them both together, pornography is whooping them. Pornography's got a 57 billion dollar revenue worldwide and two-thirds of the divorce lawyers attending a meeting uh, said excessive interest in online porn contributed to more than half of divorces they handled that year alone listen to this this is egregious nearly 90 percent of american children age 8 to 16 90 percent view porn online wow i say we as a nation really love this sin and again, in case you might want to be one of those people that, you know, hey, I've never looked at anything pornographic in my life. First of all, I don't know how you can with today's TV standards. And I'm talking even the commercials. Remember, Jesus said adultery is committed anytime you lust with your eyes. Therefore, it doesn't have to be a magazine or a movie. Listen, it's anyone moving. A little rabbit trail. That's why when we come to church services, we're here to worship Jesus Christ. That's why the scripture says it addresses ladies, but it applies to anybody, ladies or men. That when we come to worship Jesus, we dress in modesty. This is not a meat market, right? It's not a time to, you know, once again, why do you think I wear baggy clothes? Don't want to show my stuff. We're here to worship Jesus. And how we dress 
men and women, needs to be appropriate so that we do not draw somebody else's mind away from worshiping Jesus and while we're here. Amen? That's just common sense. We don't want to be a temptation when we're here to do that. But Jesus said, hey, listen, even if you did that with your eyes, anything movie, not just a magazine, not just a movie, you're just as guilty as if you hopped in bed with them. You just committed adultery with your eyes. And again, you think, well, hey, listen, Pastor Bill, I'm only human, man. I mean, where can you go from this one? I mean, I, surely committing adultery with your eyes is not that big of a deal, right? Wrong. The Bible's clear and consistent. Adultery, just like murder, is called sin. And the penalty for sin against the holy God is the penalty called death. Leviticus 20, verse 10 says this, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, what do you do? Both the man and the woman must be what? Put to death. That's how holy God is. Remember we saw he has a zero tolerance for sin. You think you don't need Jesus to get to heaven? You don't need his work on the cross? You think by going to a church service is going to save you, getting dunked in some water is going to save you, trying to memorize the Ten Commandments, trying to keep the Ten Commandments, trying to be a good person, trying to be a good American? You will always fall short because the entrance into heaven is 100% perfection. God loves you. He's trying to get that message to you. Can you really? You don't want to admit it? Just keep these ten things. Okay, let's just break it down. Just How about this one? Can you at least just keep this one, the adultery? Nobody, nobody, including myself, is guiltless on this one. Isn't he merciful? He's driving us to what we need. Our greatest need is not a better economy. Our greatest need is to make sure we're going to heaven in eternity. Amen? And he gives us the Ten Commandments. Let's deal with one more, then Lord will, next week we'll finish it up. The Eighth Commandment, remind us that God is holy, we are not, we need a Savior. You shall not steal, right? I was just borrowing it. Dun, dun, dun. That don't work either, all right? Let's take a look at that text once again. Exodus. Now, verse 15, chapter 20. What's he say? Let's all read it together. You shall not steal, right? You shall not steal. Prove to God you're holy like him. You can just march into heaven on your own. You don't need Jesus. Don't you ever once, in your whole life, don't you ever once steal, Okay, and again, you might be saying, hey, listen, Pastor Bill, I, I, I've blown it on those other ones, especially when you start to break it down there. I, but hey, listen, again, I, I've never stolen anything in my life. Well, again, don't worry. We're going to get to line here in suit enough. Okay, but again, but again I, I, I think this is kind of like uh, some of the other ones. It's kind of like the murder thing. I haven't shot. In it. We, we kind of gloss over this one, too. Like, like we're not guilty of this. Right. And so let's break it down. Let's go back to that word steal. Steal means, listen, to take something wrongly, okay, without permission. To take something wrongly or to take something without right to that possession or without permission of that possession. So stealing in the scripture by its own definition means and applies, it's not just robbing a bank. It applies to anything that is being thievery with your behavior. Let me break it down. That would include, many people say, I've never robbed anybody. I haven't robbed a bank. No way. That's Bonnie and Clyde stuff. Right? But you don't think twice about cheating on a test or cheating on tax forms or some other form. But isn't that taking something wrongly? Which is the definition of stealing. Many people say, hey, I've never robbed anybody. I've never robbed a bank. No, sir, read. But 
They don't bat an eye showing up late for work. Sneaking out a little bit early when they're not supposed to. But is that right according to your employer? So guess what it is? Stealing. I'm going to give you one more. People who say, ah, I've never robbed a bank. No, sorry. But they don't pause to borrow something from somebody they did not ask. Including, get this, I got to say this one. The property here at Sunrise. We are missing so many tables, I can't even believe it. <laughs> we had so many tables, and where did they go? If you borrowed it, could you please bring it back? <laughs> but that's what we do. It's, isn't that taken without permission of who owns that? That's stealing. And again, it looks like I'm, I'm just, <laughs> surely stealing something once in a while, okay, without permission, borrow, you know, it's not that big of a deal, right? I mean, No. God is very consistent, folks, with his commands. You shall not steal. Stealing is a sin. And the penalty for stealing against the holy God is the same thing through and through. You deserve to die. And so do I. Ezekiel 18, 18, and for his father, because he practiced extortion, he what? He robbed his brother and did what was not good among his people. What is the penalty? Behold, he will die for his iniquity. Because you robbed him. You stole and again, folks, this is what God's trying to do. He's trying to get us a message. Listen, nobody is worthy to get into heaven. And all this baloney that we've done as a nation in ripping out prayer from our schools, ripping out the Bible from our schools, ripping out the Ten Commandments from our schools, ripping out the Ten Commandments from our courtrooms, how is it done for us? Is it really bad for kids to look at the Ten Commandments? You shall not murder. I wonder why murder's on the rise in schools. And you couple that with the other one. You shall not steal. Well, why'd they murder him? Because they wanted their shoes. Or the jacket, because I didn't have a jacket. It's crazy. And God is trying to remind us, if we're going to get our society back on track, we've got to get back to the purpose of the Ten Commandments. They're not just a mode of behavior. They're to show us, including our nation, our need of a Savior. Why? Because no amount of man-made laws, I don't care if it's 10, I don't care if it's 10,000, is going to fix man's wicked heart. What we need is God, we need a relationship with God, and that is only through Jesus Christ. But that does not happen until you come His way, the only way, and acknowledge He is holy, we are not. We need Jesus and Him alone to save us from this dilemma. That's when things will begin to turn around. Now, the problem is we've been seeing with the statistics of the church, we're not leading the way back. We're not being that example. And what's happening is we have joined our own country, folks, in this spiritual pathway for annihilation. When you sit there, even as a nation, and you sit there, we don't need you, God. In essence, forsake his law. You're headed for annihilation. I didn't say that God did. So warning that he's given in Deuteronomy 28, 20. The Lord himself will sin against you. Curses. What's going on in our country? Is it great unity and peace? And I'm excited that things can turn around. But what's going on? Curses and confusion and disillusionment in everything you do. What's... Until at last you are completely destroyed. Why? How did, how did we ever get into that state? Well, here's the answer. For doing evil, God says, and what? forsaken me 
It's not just the fact that we don't keep his commandments. It's on top of that we have said to his commandments, get out of here. I forsake you. I just want a strong economy. We don't need your word. God says you do that. You might get a short-term gain, but long-term, you're headed for destruction. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If we are given a window of opportunity here, then Christian, we had better stop being asleep at the wheel. Romans says, wake up from your slumber. The night is nearly over. The day is approaching. Christ is coming back. This is not a time to be asleep. And if we have a window of opportunity, how are we truly going to bless our country? How is revival really going to take place? If God is truly giving us, if you will, a Nineveh moment, how did Nineveh experience revival? It's when Jonah didn't just show up on the beach after getting puked up by a whale. Okay, I'm here. He spoke up. He spoke God's word. Then the people responded. But if we're given a window of opportunity and we go back to sleep, shut our mouths, or just stand there on the beach and go, yay! We won't have our Nineveh moment. We have to live God's truth. We have to speak His truth now more than ever. Then, maybe God will surprise us with one true, genuine revival before it gets worse. Because we know it's going to get worse. Because you're not stopping the seven-year tribulation. But if this is a window of opportunity, church, it's us Christ in us, that is the answer. Now, this is nothing new. This is what God's been saying in his word. We just read the text. You forsake him, you're in heap of trouble. Don't forsake him. Get back to his commandments. Be those faithful Jonas. Get God's word out there. At least a fighting chance, if you will, for true revival to take place. But did you know that there was a guy over 50 years ago, and he warned our country, what would happen if we actually had the audacity to forsake God? And his commandments. His name is Paul Harvey. Let's see what he warned about nearly 50 years ago. Let's take a look. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the... So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in 
how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious What'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. 1965 is when that came out, that warning. 52 years ago. God's warning came out, what, 2,600 years ago in the Old Testament? And we're still not listening. It's not a time to get apathetic. There's still hope. There's always hope when God's on the throne. He's always on the throne. Church, we just got to make sure that our hearts are right with God and our direction is where he said it needs to be. For the ills of our society, our country. What we need is God. We need Jesus Christ. He is the answer to all of our problems. And what we need is the church, us, to lead the way back by example. We too need to understand, apparently, the true purpose of the Ten Commandments. We need to get back to God's holy word. We need to live his holy word and be those holy examples, sharing his holy gospel, so that at least the potentiality for a true revival would take place again. God is holy. We are not. We need Jesus. He's the answer. Let's get back to living that solution. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. 
And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, Let's take a a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, The Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, We've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, It could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, That means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins 
and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.